Wow, we have incredible worship leaders here, don't we? Yeah. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you are here this morning to worship with us. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we're especially glad that you're here. We would love to get to know you. So one of the ways that we can do that is through the guest registration card located in the pew rack there in front of you. You can just take that and fill it out. There's a place if you've got a prayer request or if you'd like to receive our newsletter, you can indicate that on the card. And then later on in our service, when we take our offering, you just drop that in there and that can be your offering uh, this morning. So at this time, our kids are invited to go to We Worship. This is for children from age four to grade three. This is a uh, age-specific worship service just for them. They're gonna have Bible stories and songs and games. It's gonna be great. And so we're gonna give them some time uh, to go on there. As they're making their way, we just got out of a connection group. If you're not a part of a group, I'd invite you next week to come at 945 and be a part of a connection group. As you're a part of a large church, we've gotta grow smaller as we grow larger. And so one of the ways we do that is through connection groups. Let's take a moment, let's stand and greet those around us. morning and here's a here's kind of an oldie goldie uh, from the 80s I guess you could say <laughs> uh, this is great as the Lord so you guys will recognize this let's sing it together here we go
Lord is great.
Isn't it great to sing about uh, God? Thank you for sharing in that worship. Thank you, worship leaders, for leading us as we focus on this first day of the week on the one true God, our Savior and Lord. Well, happy Mother's Day to you. Today I want to talk about families on this Mother's Day, not just to mothers, but to uh, singles, to moms and dads, to children, to husbands, to wives. We believe in families, and so we want to support and, and undergird the family. Today, I want to talk to you about families, a trend in the last 15 years on American television has been depicting families in reality shows. Uh, I suppose one of the earliest was in 2002, MTV did a reality show on the life of the Osbournes, rocker Ozzy Osbourne and his wife Sharon and their kids. And that was probably one of the first of those reality shows that looked at a family's life. And, and we've become fascinated with those, especially dysfunctional families we like to watch. I suppose that it sort of makes us feel good that our family is not as bad as some of those. And maybe that's, that's why we like to, to watch them. I don't know. But after the Osbournes were the Kardashians, and we all had to keep up with the Kardashians. And then in 2006, began the Real Housewives series, Real Housewives of Orange County. And I've never watched more than five minutes of one of those, so I can't tell you a lot of what it's about. But my take is, it's about, it's about a bunch of affluent women who don't have a lot to do, so they fight and snipe at one another and gossip all the time. That's sort of my take on what it's about, having watched five minutes of it, but it's become very popular. And so Real Housewives of Orange County, uh, there have been eight spinoffs, and so now you can watch Real Housewives of New York, Atlanta, New Jersey, Washington, Beverly Hills, Miami, Potomac, and Dallas. And it's gone international. And so now there are, in other countries, you can watch the Real Housewives of Athens, Real Housewives of Vancouver, Melbourne, Auckland, Toronto, Sydney, and coming this year, Real Housewives of Bangkok. And in an interview just this past December, Andy Cohen of Bravo TV said that if they do one more spinoff, that it will be, wait for it, Real Housewives of Nashville. So you have that to look forward to, I suppose. I don't know. But before there were all of these dysfunctional families on television, there were the real housewives of Israel. Some of the families in the Old Testament are just as intriguing to watch a train wreck, uh, just as dysfunctional, but we can also learn something from them. And so today, what I'd like for us to do is to look at one of these families in Israel in Genesis 24 through 28, a husband, a wife, and two sons. And it's a dysfunctional family, but what we're going to try to do 
is learn from their mistakes. Wouldn't you rather learn from somebody else's mistakes in your family life than, than from your own mistakes? And so God gives us the Word of God partly for that reason that we could learn from some other people's mistakes, but we're also going to see the grace of God to family life. So, <clears throat> let me begin the story by telling you that when God began to save the world, Genesis 1 through 11 is our story of how we fouled everything up, our sin, degradation. And Genesis 12 begins then with the story of salvation. So God chose a man named Abraham, and he told him to go to a new land away from his homeland, and he said, I'll eventually give your descendants this land, and it's through this land that I'll build a nation, and the, this nation will bless the world and bring the salvation of the world. And so God sent Abraham to a new land and told him he would become a great nation, have many descendants. Now, Abraham and his wife Sarah didn't have any kids for a long time, but miraculously in their old age, they had a son Isaac. And our story today is about their son Isaac. When Isaac was 40 years old, he still had not married. And so Abraham instructed his servant to go back to the homeland where Abraham came from and find a wife for his son Isaac. He did not want his son Isaac to marry one of the local girls. Not because of ethnic or racial discrimination, but because of being religiously discriminate. It's good to be religiously discriminate. He wanted his son to marry a person who shared that same faith in one true living God, did not worship the idols of the Canaanites among whom he was living, so he wanted to send him back. So I pick up and read a couple of verses in, in Genesis 24, verses 3 through 4. He says to his servant, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you'll not get a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said, well, what if I go and nobody will come back with me? He said, the God who brought me here will go before you. His angel will guide you and will give you success. So, the story we're going to look at today is very different in culture. There's going to be some strange cultural things that don't fit with us, but people are the same and God's principles are the same, and that's what we want to see. So the servant of Abraham loaded up 10 camels with supplies and with gifts, and he set out in a caravan of camels, and he got back to the land where Abraham came from, and he arrived in evening time, and he came to the village well, and he was there as the young women were coming out. It was their job in that culture to go fetch water. So they were coming out with their jars on their heads to go get the water. And the servant of Abraham prayed. And let me read you his prayer in verse 12. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. He's praying about this. And he, the, he prays specifically Lord, would you give me a sign that I found the right girl? And I'm going to ask for one of these girls to give me a drink of water. I don't have anything to draw water with. They'll give me a drink of water. And if that girl says, yes, and I'll provide water for your camels as well, that'll be the sign that you, uh, that you know it's the right one. Not saying that'll work with you today. I don't think that's going to transfer to our culture, but that's, that's what he did. And so here comes this young girl named Rebecca. She was a beautiful young woman. And she, he asked her, would you give me a drink of water? And she said, yes, and I will draw water for your camels as well. And he knew he had found the right one, that God had given him success. And he pulls out a nose ring and gives to her and bracelets for her arm and says, could could we stay at your father's house? And Middle Eastern hospitality is renowned. It still is today. And she said, yes, there is room for you and your, your caravan in our home. And so they go to her home and meet her brother Laban and her father. And the servant tells of his mission and what his purpose is. And uh, uh, her father agrees this is of God. But he said, let's ask her. And they ask Rachel, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. And so they load up and they go back to, uh, with her and her, her servants, go with this servant to uh, Abraham. And I want to read you the end of the chapter, chapter 24, because it reads like a, like a love story. 
You can cue the romantic music. It's late in the evening. The shadows are lengthening. The sun is setting. And we pick up in chapter 24, verse 63. Isaac went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. You got that romantic music playing in your head now? Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. And she got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? And the servant said, honey, that's your husband. The servant said, he is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. And she also became his wife, and he loved her. What a love story. Now, so let's first of all make some application. Let's draw from this. If, uh, for those of you who are singles, if you choose to marry, uh, then how do you find a good wife or a good husband? Well, let me share with you three things from this, this story. First of all, date a person who shares your faith. Yeah, a lot of things don't carry over from this culture, but this principle does is that Abraham did not want his son to marry someone who did not share his faith and values. He realized that was the most important thing. He made his servant swear to me that you'll find someone. In our culture, it's probably not the parents who choose that. It's, it's you young people, you, uh, you singles who are choosing. Choose a person to date because you're already too far in it after you're dating somebody else. Choose a person to date who shares your faith. Number two, Look in the right places. Abraham sent his servant back to the land that he came from because there was not suitable person who shared his faith in that land. And so the principle is there. If you want to marry a person who shares your faith and your values, then look in places where those people are. So let me tell you a parable story here. Suppose you're going around uh, the drive-in at McDonald's, okay? And you're circling the drive-in, and there in the dumpster behind McDonald's, you see Tim Hensick's head pop up out of the dumpster. And you roll down your window and you say, Tim, what are you doing in the dumpster behind McDonald's? And he says, I'm looking for a steak dinner. I'm hungry and I want a steak dinner. Now what would you say to Tim? You might say a lot of things to him, but one thing that you'd probably say is, you're not likely to find a steak dinner in the dumpster behind McDonald's, right? Right? And so, if you're looking for something good, don't look in trashy places. Have you got, do you understand this parable here? Some of you are looking in the wrong place. Don't look in trashy places for steak dinners, okay? So, so, guys, those are some of you going off, we're going to recognize graduates next Sunday. Some of you are going to be going off to college in a few months. You need to, to go to places. You need to connect in a BCM, that's a Baptist collegiate ministry, or some other kind of collegiate ministry. You need to form in places where you are most likely to meet people who share your faith. And when you get out of college, you need to go, uh, as professionals, to places where church is a good example of places where you're more likely to find a person of your faith and values. And the third thing that we can learn from this is pray. This servant prayed and God answered his prayer. I know many parents pray for their kids from the time they're born or before they're born about the two most important decisions that you, these children would give their life to Jesus Christ. And the second most important thing you can pray for your children is for that person whom they may choose to marry. And so... Singles, pray about that. If you, if you feel like you're headed toward marriage, would you pray, God, I want your leadership. You led the servant Isaac. Would you lead me to the right person as well? Well, Isaac and Rebecca got off on a good beginning. It's a love story at the beginning of their marriage. But they had some adversity, and they were not able to have children. Some of you can identify with that heartbreak for 20 years, from the time that Isaac was 40 until he was 60 uh, Rebecca was not able to have children, but Isaac prayed. And I'll read to you chapter 25, verse 20, 
1, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And she was going to have twins. And it says in the next verse, verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She prayed and asked God. And God reveals something to her. The Lord said to her, verse 23, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And so God decreed in his sovereignty that this line of faith that would bless the world that we talked about would pass through the younger of the two, not the the natural uh, tendency for the older. And that's the sovereign God. And I want to say something as an aside here. As we read passages like this, this is one reason, if you're new to to church and to Christianity and you hear about Christians are very pro-life, here's one reason why people of biblical faith are pro-life is because God has a plan for even unborn children. God saw these children in the womb, and he had a plan for these children. So before they're born, they're they're already children in God's eyes, you see? And God has a plan for people even before birth, and so it's even passages like this that form that foundation for a respect for unborn life among Christians. Well, these two Babies, when they were born, were very different. Any of you have kids and one's sort of different from the other? Uh, It's not uncommon, is it? But this time, Esau, one thing, he was very hairy. He was a hairy guy. And Jacob was a smooth-skinned guy. Esau was an outdoorsman. He loved to hunt. He loved to be out in the fields. And Jacob loved to play video games at home in the tent or something. He he was more of a a homebody. They They were different. But as they grew up, something happened in this love relationship with Isaac and Rebekah, and their children became a divisive point for them. And I want to read to you chapter 25, verse 28. It says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so now this couple... Are, are beginning to be divided and they're showing favoritism to their kids uh, and they, they uh, are siding with their kids and there's division that's taken place. And so I want to say a word to those of you who are parents. Let me invite you to ask yourselves three questions based upon this passage. Number one, is my love for my children based on how they perform? You see, Esau especially was attracted, attractive to Isaac because of what he could do. He could do the things that Isaac loved. And the temptation is to value and approve and affirm your kids because of what they can do. Do you love your kids unconditionally? And the second question is, do I show favoritism? Well, it's a real challenge in blended families not to show favoritism. Like Isaac and Rebekah each picked out a favorite. And the third question I would ask you as parents, am I seeking validation through my children? You know, your your validation, your affirmation of who you are needs to come in your relationship with God, not through another person. Not that you're living your dreams and what you want in life through those children. Would you ask yourself those questions? Well, The relationship of Isaac and Rebekah continued to deteriorate. Don't know all the factors that led them. We see this here where their their children are dividing over their children. We don't know what other factors there were. I want to point out a couple of things in chapter 26. One is that Isaac began a pattern of deception. And when you begin deception in your family, it it spreads. So in chapter 26, there was a time when there was a famine. This land where God had called them to, there, there was a drought. And they had to go to a Philistine town to stay for a while in order to survive the famine, Isaac and Rebekah. And in their culture, 
if you were a husband of a beautiful woman, they might kill you and take the woman. But if you were a brother, they would respect you and lavish gifts on you. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that was their culture. The brother would be respected. The husband might be threatened. And so Isaac lies about his wife, Rebecca, beginning this deception and says, she's my sister, not my wife. Read one verse of the story in chapter 26, verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, oh, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. The Philistines were their enemies. He was afraid of them, and so he lied. But what that did, we're going to see in just a moment, that that created a pattern of deception that's going to continue in their family. And the second thing that may have been a factor in the deteriorating relationship, marriage, between Isaac and Rebekah was prosperity. Things turned around after this famine, and they started making money, and they were doing well. Read to you again a couple of verses in chapter 26. It says in verse 12 through 13, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich. His wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. I don't know for sure that this was a factor in their marriage beginning to deteriorate, but I know that oftentimes it is. We often think of adversity putting pressure on a marriage, and it does. You may be going through a tough time, and and it's a challenge for you uh, in your marriage because you're going through a tough time. But let me say to you as well, that just as great a threat to marriage closeness is prosperity. Because you become distracted, and there's so many other things that you're... And many couples have trouble handling success. And maybe that's where you are and and you've drifted apart in your marriage because there's so many other ways that you're being pulled and your career or your business is demanding so much for you because it's going well and, and you're neglecting that relationship. Whatever these factors in verse 26 might have been, by chapter 27, when they are senior adults, Isaac and Rebecca have drifted far apart. This fairy tale marriage that had such a storybook beginning, now they're competitors and they're deceiving one another. Let me just tell you the story of chapter 27. Isaac is getting old. He wants to bless his son Esau before he dies. Now he knows that God has already said at the time of their birth that it is going to be the younger son who's going to carry on this line of salvation, but Esau loves is loved by Isaac so Isaac wants to bless Esau Uh, Isaac by this time is almost blind and so his wife Rebecca hears about his intentions to bless Esau and she devises a plot to con her husband you see how deception has flowered now in their relationship and so she's going to dupe her husband by sending Jacob in He's almost blind. He can't see. Send Jacob in. He'll get the blessing instead of Esau. Jacob protests, he's not going to mistake me for Esau. And she says, you leave that to me. And she gets goat skins and she puts it on the neck of Joseph so that when Isaac places his hands on him to bless him, that he'll feel that goat skin and think, oh, there's my hairy son Esau. I got the right one. And she puts goat skin on his arms so that when he touches his son's arms, he'll think that it's his son Esau. And she sends Jacob in in this garb, and sure enough, it works. And Isaac doesn't know the difference, and he blesses Jacob, and the con has been successful. But do you see how far they've come? These who were seeing each other across the field and getting off the camel, you know, and going. Now it's come to this point where they're competitors, there's deception, there's manipulation. They're no longer a team. Let me ask you, couples, if you would ask yourself three questions as we try to learn from the mistakes of this dysfunctional family rather than commit them ourselves. If you're married today, I want to invite you to ask yourself these three questions. First of all, are we a team? Are we a team? To say it another way, is anyone or anything driving a wedge 
between us in our relationship. You see, their children had become a wedge, and even children should not be a wedge in your marriage. You need to be a united front. You need to be a team. Is there any other person at work who it's driving a wedge? Is there anything in your life? Then today, would you, would you deal with that? You don't want to repeat this deterioration pattern in their marriage. You need to be a team, united front together. Number two, are we handling, and you can pick whichever word fits your situation. Maybe you're going through a tough time and it's straining your marriage. And you need to say, look, we're going through tough times, but we're not going to let this strain our marriage. We're going to go through this together. Or maybe it's prosperity. Are you handling prosperity together? That as successful have you been in your business or whatever, that there's still time for that marriage. And the, the third question is, is there any deception or manipulation in our marriage? Are you lying? Are you covering up? Are you trying to manipulate your spouse like Rebecca was trying to manipulate her spouse to achieve the end that she wanted? Would you, would you take an honest look and just look at your relationship? I, I love marriages, care about and pray for marriages and I see these things so often. And we need to learn from this example. Is God saying anything to you about the drifting of your marriage relationship this morning? Well, the fruit of deception, the root of deception bore the fruit of anger. Let me read to you the result of this in chapter 27, verse 41. It says that, that Esau, when he'd found out about this, held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I'll kill my brother Jacob. You see what, how this family has, has gone from the root of deception? And so Rebekah hears that Esau has it in for Jacob, that He's going to try to kill him. And again, Rebecca plots a way to save her favorite son. She convinces her husband Isaac to send him back to the land of their homeland to get him a wife to not marry a, a local outside the faith. And, and partly she, her motive is good, but partly the Bible says she's manipulating him to protect the son that she loves the best. Isaac agrees and he blesses Jacob and sends him back to Rebekah's brother Laban, back at the homeland, to find a wife. Esau hears about this, and I read to you chapter 28, verse 6. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Paddan Aram, and Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father, so he went to Ishmael and married. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. Some people think he's trying to get back into the family because Ishmael is related but Ishmael has married locally, and so he is marrying locally. I think he's doing this, I believe, to spite his father. He's saying, you don't like this? Then that's what I'm going to do. He's angry, and anger can lead to spite. So let me talk to you children for a minute, children who are in middle school, high school, college, young adults. You may have been hurt. Maybe your family's been through a divorce. Maybe you feel like that you have had some problems in your life that are not fair to you. But would you ask yourself this question, do any of your actions stem from spite? Are you acting out in a way because you're angry and you're hurt and so you want to hurt the people that you feel like have hurt you? Would you just be honest and look at that? You see, spite is defiance that results in trying to annoy or frustrate or irritate or injure someone else. Are you doing anything out of defiance that's trying to annoy or irritate or frustrate or injure your family? Listen, let me just say to you, if that's the case, if some of your actions are, have that deep motivation, 
Do you see that you're just becoming the same kind of person that you don't like? Somebody's hurt you, but now you're going to become a person who hurts people? Is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to be? Would you look honestly at your, at your life and relationship? Well, this family's a mess, isn't it? It's a mess. But I want to close with two encouraging words from this family of Israel for your family. In spite of the mess, I want to share with you these two things. Number one, you may want to write them at the bottom of your notes or whatever. God can enable you to forgive family members who have hurt you. God can enable you to forgive family members who have hurt you. Fast forward 20 years from our story. Don't have time to tell you all that transpired in those 20 years. But about 15 to 20 years later, Esau comes to the point where he wants to reconcile with his brother Jacob. He has forgiven him. And Esau sends word to to Jacob, I'm coming to see you. Jacob is scared to death. He thinks Esau might be doing the con game on him and really is coming to kill him. He divides his family into different groups so Esau can't kill them all. He sends gifts ahead, herds and flocks and and all these things ahead to try to maybe appease his anger. The night before they're to meet, the last night, he sends his family apart and he spends the night alone. And Jacob meets God. He wrestles with God. He has an encounter with God in which he prays, Lord, have mercy on me and save me. And out of that meeting with God, Jacob is renamed and Jacob becomes something of a different person. And I read to you just one verse from the story, chapter 33, verse 4. And it says, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Isn't that amazing? The power that one brother who wanted to kill the other. But now they've come to a point of forgiveness. That's the power of an encounter with God. And whatever's happened in your family in the past, whatever baggage and hatred you have, God can enable you to forgive those who've hurt you. And the power of God, when you, if you'll just open your life to Him, reconciliation may or may not be possible, but forgiveness is possible in the power of God. And I want to share with you a second and final encouraging word from this mixed up family, this messed up, dysfunctional story of, of Israel. And that is that God uses imperfect families to accomplish kingdom purposes. You know, if I was God, I'd have been tempted to just chuck them all, wouldn't you? My goodness, what a mess they made, how far they went from God's will. And you would think God would say, I'm done with you. But you know what? God doesn't approve of sin, but God loves sinners. And God loves people, even messed up people. God loves you. And God can work in your family. It may not be perfect, But God works through imperfect families. Let me show it to you in the Bible. When we get to the New Testament, the first two verses of the New Testament mention these knuckleheads right here. Matthew 1.1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, verse 2, was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Why does... God put them on the first page of the New Testament because they're great people and we want to lift them up. No, to show the grace of God to dysfunctional families and individuals to show that God can work through imperfect people to accomplish kingdom purposes. And your family's not perfect, but if you'll seek Him, you'll look to Him. In spite of your imperfections, you can be encouraged. God can use your family. God can work His purposes through your family. You turn to Him. I want to invite you right now to bow with me in a time of prayer. And I want to invite you to pray for whatever family relationships you have. Maybe you're single. And maybe you're, you're good with that and you feel that's God's calling. And I pray that you'll pray that God will be your strength. Maybe you're looking to get married. Would you pray about that? Would you make determinations just like the servant of Abraham? I'm going to date a person who, Lord, I'm I'm making that commitment to you today. I'll only date a person who shares my faith. And Lord, I'll look in the right places, and I'm going to pray about this. Maybe you're a parent today. It's tough being a parent 
Do you see any of these things in your parenting? Is God speaking to you? Kids, is God speaking to you about spite in your life? And let me ask you, those of you who are married, would you, would you strengthen your marriage before this deterioration takes place like it did in Isaac and Rebecca? Would you deal with manipulation or deception? Would you become a team again? Oh God, we bring our imperfect families to you. And Lord, we want to confess our sin. We don't want to bear the fruit of sin that this family bore in their lives. So we turn to you and we ask for your strength. And Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. And we ask that you'll use our families for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to end with a time of commitment. It may be that you need to act on something that you've prayed. Maybe that you need to, somebody to pray with you, and if you would like, you come forward and a decision counselor will be glad to pray with you about your family. It may be today that you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that you want that encounter with God that will make a difference in your life and your family. Would you walk forward and meet a pastor here, make that decision? Maybe you need to join our church family. We'd love to be your extended family, and we would welcome you to come and join by walking forward. Let's sing together.
Thank you. Please be seated, if you will. We're going to have our offering now in which we give back to God from our material possessions because He has blessed us both materially and spiritually. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give. If you fill out a guest card, just let that be your offering. Thank you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day. We thank you for this time you've allowed us to come together in your house and to worship you to hear the word of truth. And we just pray, God, that we can go out this week and proclaim your name, God, and, and uh, just try to influence others, God, in our words and our actions. We're just uh, so grateful to, today for our mothers as well, Lord, and the impact they've had on our lives. Lord, we come, back, come to this time that we give back just a small portion of what you blessed us with. and We just pray, God, you give us wisdom and how we use these funds to, to further your kingdom. So we ask your blessing on those. And we just pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Send bouquets for Mother's Day, for Father's Day a shirt and a car. While they came from the heart, they all fell short of saying how special you both are. It wasn't till I was up and gone. Married with a couple of kids of my own Doing what mamas and daddies do That I realized what I must have put you through So thanks again for the love in the cradle And all of the changes that kept me dry and thanks again for the love at our table and tanning my bottom when I told you a lie. For taking me fishing and flying my kite and tucking me in, yes, night after night to my beautiful lifelong friend. Hey, Mom and Daddy, thanks again. I'm still a young man, at least I think I am, but I'm watching my own hair turn gray. And your call last Sunday brought to mind That I owe you a debt I could never repay So thanks again for worrying and waiting When I started dating on weekend nights And thanks again for your help with my homework and setting up with me till I got it right. Your car for the prom, your letters from home, but most of all, Daddy, for marrying Mom to my beautiful lifelong friend. Hey, Mom and Daddy, thanks again To my beautiful, lifelong friend Hey, Mom and Daddy, thanks again
things again. One of the great blessings is to have had a Christian mom. Todd had that, I had that, and I'm grateful for that heritage in my life uh, and that uh, one of the greatest influences in my life. Thank you, Todd, for sharing that song. It's my pleasure to introduce to you today. This is uh, Curtis Duncan. Would you come stand by me? Guys, come stand with him. This is uh, his, or his sons, Dominic and Damien. And Curtis is coming to join our church this morning by baptism. He's uh, received Christ previously in his life, but never confessed to him openly in baptism. And he wants to come and do that and join our church today. So we welcome you and uh, glad you're here. And I'm going to ask Larry, one of our deacons, would you come stand with him? And Curtis hadn't been to a connection group yet, and you can connect him with one of our connection groups. If you'll welcome him into our church on his confession of faith and baptism, and uh, pray for Curtis as he becomes a part of our family, would you lift your hand and say amen? Amen. amen. Indeed. We're glad you're here. You guys can have a seat again for a moment, if you will. And Tim's going to come and wrap things up. As we close, just have a couple of things we want to point your attention to in the uh, worship guide. Uh, again, a couple of CDP classes going on on Wednesday nights. Um, the Jesus Tent registration is, uh, is about to fill up, so please get in there and get your spot. Graduate recognition next Sunday, so you don't want to miss that as we, as we honor the graduates. And also, for students in middle school and high school, your remaining balance is due for your trip next Sunday. And so if you can please get that in, that would be a great thing. Um, if you're a first-time guest with us, we'd like to remind you, as, as you exit the sanctuary, as you head down to your left to the Welcome Center, our, our pastor and his wife would love the chance to be able to meet you face-to-face -face and, and be able to connect with you. And so they've got a small gift for you down there as well. And finally, uh, Vacation Bible School. If uh, you haven't registered yet, our online registration for Vacation Bible School will be open through June 1st. And so if you can go there and register, that's a great way for us to be able to already be funneling students into which, which uh, classroom they're going to be in and be lining up appropriate teachers and workers and all that. And so if you can do that, that'd be great. If you're unable to do that, there is paper registration forms at the Welcome Center as well. Or if you want to invite other people to come to that, you can be able to hand them one of those registration forms. So you can pick those papers up at the Welcome Center as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace and just for your establishment of the family. And we pray that um, as families that we turn to you, that we look to you in all situations and, and, and during struggles and good times and in bad times. Father, we just turn to you and, and seek your counsel, seek your wisdom. Father, we thank you for our mothers and the way they've, they've guided us and, and pointed us to you as well. God, I just want to pray for Curtis now as he, as he, he and his boys join us here at the church. I pray, Lord, that, that we uh, are, are a family to them and that they can join us as we fulfill the Great Commission and reach this community around us. Let us be an example, uh, God, to all the real families of Coffee County that are right here around us. We love you and we thank you for your grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.